So when I was about eight years old, my family took a vacation to the beach. And I was walking with my dad and my little brother along this shallow reef, watching the fish and sea creatures move about. We saw a little stingray and somehow I got it into my head that it darted towards me and had started chasing me across the reef. And it actually wasn't. But as I was running along, the splashes behind me made it look like it was actually chasing me. And so I was running back to the shore as fast as I could, screaming at the top of my lungs, absolutely terrified. And I ran up to my mum, who was laying on the beach, but totally distracted and oblivious to my terror. What was she so entranced by that she couldn't hear her own child screaming? It was a Danielle Steele book. So I sort of understood from an early age that Danielle Steele was a big deal, but I never really understood why until I googled who are the most prolific writers in the world. And there she is, Danielle Steele. And so this began my personal journey to understanding the motivations and habits of this pretty eccentric person who's published 170 books in her lifetime. And she's made a ton of money from it too. Forbes in 2023 estimated that her net worth was a whopping $420 million. And now she's in her 70s, but she's not slowing down. She is more prolific than ever, ever and she will publish more books this year than she has in her entire career. This is episode one of the Obsession podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm going to share what I've learned about Danielle Steele's life and origin story, her daily routines, her motivations, and importantly, some historical and societal context about what was going on in the world while she was coming up. Um, And there's some pretty counterintuitive lessons in here, things that really kind of break the generally accepted rules of productivity. And I really believe that Danielle is in a league of her own. And let's dig into why. So let's start with the moment that Danielle Steele decided to become an author. And she had always loved the arts. She went to design school at Parsons, which is a very prestigious design school. And she went into advertising. And one of her clients said to her after, you know, during a work project, you're a good writer, you should write. And at the time, Danielle was 19 years old. She was married with a young child. And she took that advice to heart. She went down to her basement late at night after the kids in bed and wrote her first novel. And surprisingly, this doesn't happen very often with a first novel, even back then, well, especially back then, um, it, it, took, it took off. It ended up being uh, purchased by a book publisher. Now, what's more interesting than that initial success is her subsequent failure. 
So she actually wrote five more novels after this first one, and they were all rejected by publishers. So let's just dwell on that for a moment. She ended up having more children, um, and she's going to her basement, writing late into the night while raising these kids. And she spent four years writing these next five books with zero positive feedback, all rejected, publishers, agents, and um, even her own family. So her first husband that she was married to at the time didn't really like her doing this writing stuff. And her parents were unsupportive. Um, really, everyone said you should just be a stay-at-home mom. You're a, you're a mother. You shouldn't be doing this writing stuff. Um, and even her own children, and she had many of them, um, none of them showed any interest in her books, even though this was like mom's thing. They didn't even know that she was famous until they went to college and their friends at college recognized who she was. So to me, to me, this is, this is also like a very Danielle Steele thing is that she kept going through this period with zero positive feedback from anyone around her because she didn't just want to be a famous novelist. She just loved the process of writing and she just wanted to do it. Um, and she also has this killer work ethic that we'll get into throughout the episode. So now I want to talk about her personal life and contrast that to her work life. So I, I, I call this like a dramatic personal life, but a very monotonous work life. So I'm not going to go into like all of the saucy trials and tribulations of Danielle's romantic life and family life. It's been, it's covered in detail elsewhere. It's a very sort of Hollywood kind of story. There's a lot of drama, but I'll just share the short summary of, of her life here. So she's been married five times. She met two of her husbands while they were inmates in prison and she had nine children, nine. And, um, you know, everything that you read that she, she personally writes and shares, um, uh, from her personal life is that she's very like she she loves being a mother she's very devoted to her children very present very you know has her children at the the center of her universe um and and a, a tragic thing actually is that one of her children suffered from bipolar disorder and ultimately committed suicide so danielle Steele has a lot going on in her personal life, right? That's enough to keep anyone busy. But during this period, let's say, you know, her 20s through to her 50s, um, Danielle published two books on average per year. Uh, and that's, you know, for for a novelist, it's, that's a pretty brisk pace. I mean, there, there are people who, uh, she, she now exceeds that average, but that's still a, you know, decent pace for someone who has a lot going on in their lives, all these marriages, all these children, you know, lots of, you know, nine children spread out over a couple of years each. You've got a huge range of ages there. So how did she do it with all this stuff going on? Well, she is very obsessive 
um, in her work life and she has a work life that is kind of the opposite of dramatic. So her daily routines and how she separates her work out from her personal life is really, really important. So she has daily routines and let's talk about those habits. So the first key to success here in terms of a habit, a work habit, is that she writes a lot. So that sounds pretty obvious. If you're going to be the most prolific author alive today, you need to write a lot. But um, what's unique about her is her just ferocious determination and stamina. So she says often that she will write for 20 or more hours at a time. And this is especially happening in the first month of writing a new book when she is laying out the initial story. So she says, so 20 hours or more at a time. And that, that is, that's pretty intense. Um, she says that she developed a habit of writing late into the night when her children were young. Remember her going down to the basement to write her first novel. And so that was the only time that she had to herself to write. And so she became this, you know, productive night owl because of circumstance at that time. So she, as I said, raised nine children. She was very present and devoted, loved being a mother, but she still didn't let that child rearing um, commitment stop her from writing during those years. She just made it happen. She sacrificed her sleep in this case to make that happen. Um, but in, also important to note that as her children became adults and started leaving home, she was able to increase her productivity. So once she got after, after she turned 50, um, she was on average churning out four and a half books per year, um, compared to between the ages of 26 and 49, when her uh, second published book took off, she was only publishing two per year. So you can see the child rearing did affect her output, but she still made it happen. So she's one quote that she says, and this relates back to her writing her first book and that took off and then writing five more over the next four years that weren't published at all. Um, She says, I always tell writers who are starting out that if I had quit after the second or third or even fourth unpublished book, I would never had the career that I do today. So this sort of speaks to her determination and, and her belief. She really believes in hard work. And there's a few quotes from her that I'll share that underscore that. Um, So besides writing books, she maintained a personal blog where she posted very frequently since 2008. And it was, you know, she, she has this really kind of special connection with her readers. If you, um, she, she recently sort of moved away from the personal blog and started an Instagram account. And um, the relationship that she has with her readers is, is really lovely. You look at her posts and you read the comments from her followers and, um, you know, mostly women. And they just, you know, they just adore Danielle. They talk about their favorite book and um, just a very devoted um, fan base. And she has like, you know, she's a real person to them. She is sharing 
what she ate for breakfast, like quite literally. Um, She shares pictures of all of her dogs and, you know, when she goes on vacation with her children and um, she's really into fashion as well, um, which she can afford to be with that net worth. But all that aside, she isn't just like writing her novels only. She does take quite a bit of time to blog and share with her followers what she's up to and her philosophy on hard work and child rearing and things like that. So she's got all that going on in addition to the novel writing. So second sort of productivity hack here is that she doesn't take breaks. <laughs> and this this is one of those counterintuitive lessons from her story. We're always told that work-life balance is important, but Danielle Steele doesn't like balance. She is obsessive and she sort of prides herself. She almost like, um, she almost gloats in her blog and social and Instagram about how she doesn't take breaks and she only takes like tiny amounts of vacation through the year. So what she says is that she only takes one week of vacation, one to two weeks and some time over the holidays to spend with her children. And she said in some interviews I listened back to that anything more than that and she starts to feel nervous. And she said, when I'm writing, I get ideas for more books. When I'm not writing, everything goes dead. So this is quite interesting. She feels this requirement to keep up this pace in order to sort of keep the inspiration going and to keep the train running really. So that means that she's, you know, she's working like writing and editing 50 weeks a year. And she says about the first month or so in particular that um, I hover over my typewriter for weeks at a time, working on a first draft with unbrushed hair in an ancient nightgown with every inch of my body aching after typing 20 or 22 hours a day at a stretch. So that that quote is a very Danielle Steele type of quote. You can you know you got a very vivid picture of this little old lady just you know maniacally sort of frantically typing away. Um, her, her typewriter itself is quite an interesting story. We'll get back to that a little later. So the third sort of productivity hack from Danielle Steele is that she has a strict content diet. So that one week break or the two week breaks each year is the only time that she permits herself to read other books. Why? Well, she is concerned that reading other books while she's writing will lead her to accidentally include another author's plot lines or concepts in whatever she is working on. So instead of consuming content, she creates it. And I think that's a really interesting point. I think today, as consumers, I mean, we're called consumers to the companies that, you know, publish, publish uh, content or, you know, produce products. We're known as consumers. And the amount of time that the average person spends watching Netflix, scrolling Instagram, watching TikTok, etc., it's um, we may have moved away from the TV, but we've certainly replaced it with some other content modalities. And that's the way that most people live is consuming content rather than creating it. And even people who are 
creators who are, you know, trying to produce content. I fall into this trap myself all the time. It's so easy. I love Reddit, for example. I love, there's a few subreddits I'm in, just great conversations. And, you know, like 30 minutes will go by and I'm just reading comments on on Reddit. It's insane. Um, So I really applaud this about Danielle Steele is that she she knows how her brain works and she has built a structure to keep her, um, to keep her brain focused. So where did her ideas come from if they're not from other novels and certainly not from like having this, you know, exciting high flying life for at least most of the year. She says that her ideas can come from everywhere. And I listened to this interview with her where she shared a story about having lunch with her book editor um, and the staff from her publisher in New York. She went, they all went out to lunch, this group of women and everyone else walked away thinking, oh, that was a, that was a nice lunch. We had a good chat, but Danielle took that conversation and the life stories of the women at the table as inspiration for a new book. And everyone else was like, it was, it was just a lunch, but she came up with the whole concept here. So that's, I think another great thing to learn from, from Danielle is like, you don't need to have these like lived experiences necessarily to come up with great ideas. Number four productivity hack from Danielle is that she delegates everything but the writing. And she's been asked many times um, over the years if she uses ghostwriters. And I think it's a fair enough question if you're out there publishing six books a year or four or even back in the day two. um, Cynical people want to know, are you using ghostwriters to help you with this volume that you're that you're churning out and so she has consistently said time over time I don't use ghostwriters never have never will but I do employ a researcher to help with the historical aspects of her novels and having correct historical details is very important to her so this researcher worked with her full time um this she worked with this same researcher, Nancy Eisenbart is her name, for many years. And Nancy eventually retired and Danielle was able to hire Nancy's daughter to continue the, continue the research bloodline, I guess. So great continuity there. But besides her researcher, um, she, she doesn't have anyone else helping her with her books. She has an editor at her the publishing house that she works with. But what's interesting here is like what she delegates on the personal side. So she says she has three personal assistants who handle everything for her other than writing. She says, I don't talk to anyone except my kids when I'm writing. And so she has two residences. She lives, she has a residence in San Francisco and she has a residence in Paris. She splits her time between them. Um, and she has, you know, her, her personal assistants in each country who take care of everything. They, she says they even bring food to her 
to make sure that she's eating something while she's, you know, in her ancient nightgown writing for 20 hours at a time. So this means that she can maintain absolute focus on her work. Productivity hack number, what are we up to now? Um, Five. She's low tech. So much has been written about Danielle Steele's vintage typewriter from 1946. She's used this same typewriter for decades and she buys up spare typewriters of this same model so that she can have replacement parts and never be a day without her typewriter. So (laughs) no computer, you know, I guess like she's, she's on Instagram, so she's using her phone. She was, you know, writing on a blog as well. So I'm, I'm guessing she does have a computer, but that is her tool and she's committed to it. And when you think about it, a typewriter is free of distractions. There's no email, there's no web. It's just the only thing you can do is think and type, maybe read back what you, what you just wrote. So that is something that works for her and she's stuck with it. She's not, you know, using the latest and greatest um, technology to be more productive. And her other writing tool is a yellow paper pad. So she takes the ideas about characters and story ingredients and uses this to handwrite an outline. And that takes about six months. And then she lets the outline sit for a while and then she types it all up on her typewriter. So, you know, Think about the simplicity of these tools, low tech, free of distraction. And, you know, despite having plenty of money, the tools that she uses to create her work are very inexpensive. Productivity hack number six, her diet is simple. So these days, Danielle Steele's breakfast every day is the same. Half a slice of toast, decaf iced coffee and some dark chocolate to nibble on through the morning. Um, And this is what she shared on Instagram. And she also says that like, she's always had this, these terrible dietary habits while she's writing. She says in the early days, she lived on a writing diet of liverwurst and Oreo cookies. And so this, these Spartan eating habits are in service of one thing, which is focusing on her writing. She says, I don't take the time to stop and cook or even eat. And I don't want to stop and eat anything complicated while I work. All I think about is the book and I'll eat whatever is placed near me without even noticing what it is. And the final hack, I guess, is she loves what she does. So this may be the only traditional piece of self-help advice that Danielle Steele is stuck to. So do what you love. I agree with a lot of what has been said about how terrible this advice usually is. So turning your hobbies into a vocation is often fraught with issues. It often converts something that might be a pure joy into something that's more of an obligation or a chore. So you love yo- you love doing yoga and you become a yoga teacher. Well, only being a yoga teacher is not all about practicing yoga. There is the administration side, there is getting clients, there is, um, you know, so so much more beyond the actual practicing of yoga and so sometimes it's better just to keep the thing that you love as a hobby as wind down time something that you like to do the other issue is that many of the 
things that people are passionate about that are enjoyable are difficult to convert into making money. So again, yoga is a good example. So there's there's not that many yoga teachers who really high paid can leverage their time and become super rich and successful if that is you know your, your ultimate goal anyway but for Danielle it works and it certainly pays as I mentioned earlier Forbes estimated her net worth in 2023 to be 420 million US dollars and so to be clear she was born into a fairly wealthy family um uh, and and she married a couple of wealthy guys along the way but she also married down on a couple of occasions where she was certain the far more wealthier of the of the two people in the relationship um and so regardless like she was born on on third base and all of that besides all of that it's likely that the majority of her wealth was generated through her book publishing So now it's my favorite part of the episode where we get to talk about the historical context and societal context of what was happening in the world when this person got their start. And I think something that we're going to explore in detail in future episodes is going to be about the importance of timing, being in the right place at the right time in the right body. So although Danielle Steele has one of the strongest work ethics that I have ever seen or heard about, that is critical, 100%. But also what was going on in the world and how she was in the right place at the right time was even more important. Romantic fiction as a genre has been around for a long time. I mean, even, you know, you could consider Shakespeare to be romantic fiction right and in the early uh 20th century that genre became more popular big readership of of women in particular but it was all quite um uh sensible and modest and that all changed in 1972 so this is after you know the sexual revolution of the 60s took a little bit of time to catch up with fiction but in 1972 a book called the flame and the flower was published the author kathleen e woodywiss um, wrote this book and it introduced this new subgenre of romantic fiction called the bodice ripper so prior to that romantic fiction was very prim portraying women in very traditional caregiving roles, very modest. But the flame and the flower opened the floodgates for a new type of fiction that women in particular resonated with. These sweeping, exciting, sexy stories with an empowered, independent woman at the center. And, you know, the hot love interest being, you know, sort of in service of this empowered woman. Um, and so this opened the floodgates, Danielle and other female authors at the time, like Nora Roberts and Jackie Collins would follow in Woody Wiss's footsteps with this genre. Um, and the timing here is that Flame in the Flower was published in 1972. Danielle Steele's first novel, her, her, you know, number one 
um, book that she wrote, not number one, the, the first book that she wrote, that was published the next year. So she was really, you know, she, she wrote this book, um, probably had read a number of like the romantic fiction books previously. There isn't any, it's, it's hard to believe that she took all of her inspiration from the flame and the flower. Cause that was just published the year before. Um, so this is like, she was sort of part of this new way of thinking the sexual revolution and um, was using that as inspiration for this book. But it just happened to be at the right time when The Flame and the Flower was this big breakaway hit and publishers started taking notice of this like empowered new um, genre of the bodice ripper. So that's when publishers of romantic fiction like Harlequin and and Mills and Boone started to grow quickly after leaning into this genre. So Danielle Steele's, remember there was like a five year period where she didn't have any of her novels published, but the next one that she wrote um, was picked up by the mass market publishing house Dell. So Dell, um, the editor in chief at Dell in 1978, when this next book was being published, decided to make a star of Danielle. He needed a figurehead of this new type of genre and for whatever reason he picked Danielle Steele as the as the figurehead so this is and this is from reporting from the New York Times New York Times reported that Dell spent three hundred thousand dollars back in 1978 promoting Danielle Steele putting her in tv ads putting her on shopping bags and totes and having her books be displayed prominently in bookstores. So $300,000 back then, I calculated in today's dollars, that would be about $1.4 million, which is like a a really decent marketing budget for an author, right? So that would have, that shot her to fame um, very early in her writing career. This was only her second published book. So she, worked hard she'd been writing for five years and had you know written all of these books uh, six books by this stage so her seventh that was a hit so she had to work hard but she was also in the right place at the right time so she took advantage of the luck that was granted in her life and she's as we've seen so far definitely not a woman who is afraid of working hard But what I want you to take away here is that recognizing the trends and shifts in the world around you, whether those are cultural, like in this case, whether those are technological and we're in an an age of rapid technological um, changes and, and, and trends and shifts, recognizing those trends and shifts is a talent by itself and getting yourself into a position where you can be at the right place at the right time. That can be done deliberately. It can be accidental, but either way, you know, Danielle Steele was in a position in, in position as the wave sort of began to swell and she had to paddle really hard to catch that wave, but she was in position. And that's a really important part 
of Danielle Steele's success story. Moving into the third chapter, if you will, of of the episode now, I want to talk about how Danielle Steele is now more productive in her 70s than she was in her 20s. So as of this year, 2023, Danielle Steele is 75 years old. And if you look up, if you follow her on Instagram, she's like a, a, a diminutive lady. She's like the definition of a little old lady, right? Um, but she she's just maniacal. Like she will publish seven books this year, seven books, and they will without a doubt all end up on the New York Times bestseller list. So you can't like you, you can't describe a more prodigious person than that, at least like who is alive right now today. But she wasn't she's more productive now than she was at a younger time. So I I um I mapped out this timeline of all of the books that she's published by year, and I noticed something interesting, which is she had sort of this streak during her child rearing years, let's say 26 to 49, where she published one or two books on average per year. And um, I think what's important to note here is that book publishing is a long game. So she, Danielle says it takes two years for a book to get published after she completes it, right? So these books that are being published in 2023, the seven ones, they were all written at least a couple of years ago. Um, so this is sort of a requirement um, of being an author as well as like working on a number of books at a, at a time. And I imagine it's quite difficult to maintain like separation of all of these different books. And you watch her go and do a book tour and, and go on national TV and talk about one of her latest books. I watched an interview that she did on TV to promote one of her books and the storyline of it. That book was written two years ago and she's got six more that she's publishing this year. It's just crazy to me to imagine like keeping all of these plot lines straight, like who's the main character of this book. And, you know, they're all, you could say that they're all fairly similar in terms of the story arc and what happens. Um, So it's just really... It's just really interesting. But back to her sort of child rearing years, she says that at that time when her children were young, that the kids often interfered with her writing schedule. She says, one of my sons had a gorilla under his bed for several years, which really interfered. So, you know, given her writing at night, um, and she says about this time of her life, within a few years, we had teenagers, babies, Kids of all ages, all over the place. I loved it and I still do. Nothing makes me happier than a house full of kids. So um, I just, I think that this is incredibly inspiring. Like I've just got one kid and that keeps me pretty busy, but she had nine and um, she still found the time to get down to the basement and crank out these books. So I find that very inspiring um, for anyone sort of earlier in in their career and and with the family too. So then once, you know, once she turns 50, which you can imagine like most of her children would be out of the house by then, she was, she stepped up her um, productivity. She was publishing on average 
3.2 books between the ages of 50 and 65. Um, and then, you know, this is when most people start to slow down it's at 65, but she was just getting started. So at 69, she had her first six book year. And since then, since 69 to now 75, she's published no less than six books per year. So she, she hit her stride as a creator in her 70s. So in her senior years, she's more productive than ever. And this is like the, the second, you know, inspiring thing to me is that gives me so much hope and comfort as someone who is 36. I wonder if I have all the time to do the things that I want to do with my life. I want to explore more. I want to create more. And Danielle had this much busier family life than I do at this age. And she still found the time to write. Um, And then when the daily grind of parenting young children subsided, she immediately took that opportunity to invest in her passion. And so I, I don't want to be working 20 hours at a stretch. I don't want to be, you know, only taking one or two weeks of vacation a year, but even like scaling that back a little bit, it gives me so much comfort and reassurance that I have many decades left to explore and create even on, you know, a much smaller scale than what Danielle Steele has done. Let's also talk about another component to worldly success, which is audacity. And this is something I've noticed that prolific people, people who've gotten to the top of their game, all share is audacity. So there's boldness that exists either because they know the rules and want to break them, or they don't know the rules. They're a total outsider and they break the rules by accident. So you can kind of see this in any super successful person with Elon Musk just just throwing the rules of car manufacturing aside. Um, uh, lots of people come in as come into their profession as outsiders and break all the rules. So with Danielle, she has received a resounding lack of critical acclaim for her books. These like sweeping romances with happy endings are not what literary critics are looking for at all. So, you know, she's not getting critical acclaim for this. And she certainly started out not knowing the rules. She hadn't studied literature and she didn't know the book industry. She met, she initially met a book agent through her first husband who rejected the manuscript and told her to go back to being a housewife. So she didn't let that stop her. She was audacious. She sought out a female agent who saw more potential in her and took the book to a publisher. So she, you know, she didn't know the rules. She was rejected. She kept going anyway, this audacity. So um, as we've talked about a couple of times, that streak did not last. She wrote five more books that publishers rejected. And that would be enough to turn a lot of people away. But she just kept writing she kept going and she's like never set out to impress the literary critics I've mentioned like hanging out on her Instagram a little bit and all she cares about is her readers she doesn't care about like 
um, literary acclaim. Her, she knows what her readers want. They want beach reads. They want soaring storylines. They want happy endings. They want to dream. They want to imagine that they are the you know empowered, strong female protagonist in these novels that's swept off their feet by you know a, a hot man. So like they're formulaic, they're predictable, but that's what her readers want. And she is sort of relentless in her pursuit of giving her readers what they want. So a few things that I take away from Danielle's life story. One is that, you know, the context was so important, being in the right place at the right time. That had to be combined with hard work, with sacrifice she sacrificed her sleep um she you know I, I think that like if you didn't know what she looked like and you just described this person she sounds like one of the hustle culture icons of you know 2015 and the tech scene she lives in san francisco she doesn't have any hobbies she works 20 hours straight she has three personal assistants you know this kind of sounds like a tech bro right Um, But it's this little old lady just like churning out predictable romantic fiction um, and totally, you know, being extremely successful there. So she really, I think one thing that's interesting is like she kind of boasts about how hard she works and it's a real point of pride for her. But I I think that she kind of, you know, she, she deserves that. She's sacrificed a lot. She's worked very hard along the way. Um... Would I want her life? Absolutely not. And I think that most people wouldn't, you know, want this kind of life, even for the $420 million that she um, suppo- reportedly has. But what I am really inspired by is her obsession to her craft and just getting better and just doing that thing and the focus. I'm really impressed by how she, you know, she's like a family woman super engaged mom but like she still managed to take the time that she needed to work on her passion and was unapologetic about that she was in the basement you know went through a number of husbands some of which didn't really support what she was doing um and then finally when she you know she gets to a time in her life where she has more time to herself she doubles down and is so prolific into her older years it just gives me like I said so much comfort and um and joy to imagine like we all have more time than we think in our day and we all have more time than we think in our life um to create and explore so that is the life story of Danielle Steele how she is so prolific She's more prolific in her older age than she was when she was younger. Hope you found it inspiring too. And thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. I'm going to be sharing the life stories, daily habits of prolific people who've gotten to the top of their game and importantly, weaving in that cultural and historical context of what was going on in the world around those people. That's what obsession is about. And I would love to have you along for the journey. Thanks for listening.